Welcome to the Zen Ways podcast with our teacher Daizen. So last week we looked a little bit at the very last teachings that the Buddha gave before he died and he stressed being a lamp unto yourself and making the truth of things also your lamp. Now there's one other key aspect of things that he doesn't mention at this point when he's, he's very close to death, but, but um, earlier on in his life he stressed very strongly. There was one little incident where his assistant, who was actually his cousin, who was called Ananda, came to him and said, uh, Ananda was a very uh, attractive personality and a very popular person came to the Buddha and said, I've been thinking that community, Sangha, our relationships as a group together is half the spiritual life within just that. And the Buddha says, don't say that, Ananda. The whole of the spiritual life is within community, within Sangha, within our interconnectedness and interrelationship." Now, when we have the incident of the Buddha himself realizing enlightenment, he says, I'm enlightened together with the whole of the great earth and all its beings. The more we wake up, the more we uh, open our eye, the more we become aware and perceptive of how things really are, the more we realize that which we have in common with the universal, that which we share. Now, it seems that although he had uh, a couple of early teachers, the Buddha himself pretty much did this work of waking up by himself. But in tracing through the old records, I haven't yet found a single other person who's done the same thing. It seems that the rest of us need at least a certain measure of living human connection in order to really flourish, to really achieve our potential. So when we come to practice together, it's actually something quite important within the mix of things. We can sit by ourselves, we can meditate uh, completely alone, but something, uh, an essential nutrient gets missed if that's all we have. I think it's very important to have the uh, the strength and the habit energy to be able to practice alone. But there's this extra nutrient. So how, how does this manifest, this extra little piece, this little piece that makes the difference? Well, we can see it as two sides of a coin, I think. 
this process is one of opening. When we are closed, when we're blocked, essentially uh, things tend to feel fixed and stuck. As we begin to open, two dynamics appear more and more powerfully. The dynamic of receiving and the dynamic of giving. We become more and more able to receive and we become more and more able to give. And these two sides of the coin are actually really one thing. in the very kind of controlled environment of a Zen monastery, they assume when you come in the gate that uh, you have things to sort. To start off with, it's all about you. You have a very simple kind of schedule. You get very simple work, sweeping or weeding or things which don't involve very much interaction with others, don't involve very much... um, uh, Uh, leadership or management or any uh, of those kind of qualities. Now, as we um, go through that process, if it's working right as we do this, then in a sense we become a little bit less self-important, as it were. Our problems may well not completely vanish, but, but they're less important. Our view isn't blocked so entirely by ourselves and very naturally begins to expand. As our view begins to expand, begins to encompass others as well as ourselves, then we begin to be given responsibility for others. Perhaps to start with, we run a little work crew, five or six people. Later on, we might have a department where we're dealing with quite a number of other people. Later on, we might be running a temple or something, you know, in which there's a lot of interaction involved. Now, within our um, our life outside that kind of very controlled or closed environment, um, we don't have such a sharp kind of um, gradation within this kind of work. But the same thing holds as we uh, face ourselves as we actually start to be with and recognize our own suffering, then very naturally, the, if you like, the sunlight of our awareness begins to melt away the ice of our suffering. It begins to open, it begins to flow. And as it begins to flow, this dynamic of giving and receiving of letting come, letting go, becomes a reality. And so, us, whatever us means, becomes less important. And so, there's this kind of flow which expands beyond our view of ourselves to our view of others and all things. And we actually make a point of studying deeply the question, what is another? Looking into the heart 
as well as we can of what actually is another. Because the process of getting stuck, getting blocked, getting closed in the first place is a lot to do with how we've handled over our personal history, our interactions with others. Other people are very typically the source of many of our deepest pains and also our deepest and highest joys. And so we actually turn our attention to study and to face the question of what actually is another, penetrating to the heart of what another is. And as we develop the ability to see through to our own heart more and more clearly, we develop the same capability, the same process in looking into the heart of those around us. And this is a very important process because as our practice develops and opens, we inevitably are called upon to teach. Whether we have that particular label attached to us or not, doesn't really matter that much. We become a teacher. And an important, essential part of becoming a teacher is seeing as clearly as we can where the person in front of us is making their stand where their footing is at the moment. Now we're all fallible, we're all uh, works in progress, we can get it wrong, there's always more to learn, more to develop. Even the Buddha himself seems to have made errors at times in his interactions with others. But nevertheless we can refine our ability to see to the heart of ourselves, we can refine our ability to see to the heart of others. And as we do this, we become more and more able to harmonize with others and to actually work together to build this thing that we call community or Sangha together. Now an important part of this in practice is embodied in the Zen saying Buddhas appear troublesomely and ancestors teach in detail. What this means or what this points to or how I've been taught to kind of refer to this is that in any group of people, there are almost always at least one or two who have an ability to get up your nose. And they are your precious teachers. They're the ones who point out to you where perhaps there's something within this flow of receiving and giving, where there's still a hanging on to the riverbank, if you like. Still perhaps a rock in the water that needs to soften, needs to melt away. If we can take those Buddhas that appear troublesomely as our teachers, then our interactions within the Sangha can become very, very precious. 
the more awkward somebody is in, in our perception, the more they're pointing right at the heart of where we can further soften and let go. And of course, this holds for within our training hall here, within our zendo, but also within the, the meditation hall of our lives generally. There will be those people within your life who are most difficult. And they have much to teach you, much that you can know. Now, in order for them to be able to teach you, it's very important that you don't run away. It's a natural human instinct to want to avoid this kind of thing. And people can put enormous energy into creating structures to avoid this kind of thing, to make themselves feel safe. make themselves feel right. And it takes courage, it takes grit to be able to, as it were, allow what's being pointed out through a difficult interaction to be seen. For the pain, the suffering within it to be seen and to soften, and to let go. And within this process, it doesn't mean that anybody is right, or anybody is wrong. It certainly doesn't mean that you have to, as it were, make yourself into the doormat of the universe, to put yourself in the position of uh, some kind of victim, or some kind of um, uh, downtrodden, lesser person. Not at all. When you do this work right, as the Buddha himself said, you develop what he calls in, in, the, in the Indian, gotrabhu jnana, a kind of knowing that changes your family or changes your lineage. You join the family or the lineage of the noble people. You become a noble person. Your nobility comes out. The Buddha was very clear in his teaching that nobility isn't something that people are born to. It's not an accident of birth. It's something that actually comes forth as a part of developing the courage and commitment to face the truth of things. And so the troublesome Buddhas that appear within your life help to bring forth your nobility. Now this aspect of working with others, working with community, working with Sangha is a very kaleidoscopic one. You may find that um, 
as uh, time goes on, your needs, if you like, your community needs shift and change. And you for sure will find as time goes on what you have to give and offer also shifts and changes. And there may be times in practice when it's wholly right for things to become quite solitary. Usually for for pretty defined periods of time, but that can be, for some people, an important phase within the developing. But the vast bulk of the time are interactions with those around us, are the, the grist to our daily development. When I came back from Japan in 2007, I came down to London in September of that year, I was very struck by the level of isolation, separation amongst people. I remember sitting on a tube train with a girl across the way on the opposite seat who, as far as I could tell, seemed to be weeping with loneliness. That's certainly how it looked. Now, we live in many ways in, I think, what history will call a golden age. We live in a free and open society in which we can easily and safely meet together and talk our hearts uh, freely like this. We live in a situation in which we have free health care. We live in a situation in which uh, we have free intermixing of people from different nations, different cultural backgrounds. We live in a situation in which we have unparalleled access to knowledge, most of it completely free and available at the touch of a button. This is the first time in the history of the world it's been like this. I only have to go back a couple of generations in, in either of the lineages of Zen that I've studied to find that they basically had to teach um, under wraps, it basically in code. You had to wait around for years to get a lot of the teaching. Now we don't have to worry about these things. But the one Achilles heel that we seem to have now is this area of human connection. We've become atomized. We've become increasingly separated. And I think it's very important for each person to think about fostering those human connections that for them will nourish their being on every level to flourish as a human being. And to 
make sure that you put the energy into fostering those friendships, those connections, uh, on whatever level is right for you. It's so easy to let these things get weaker and uh, more and more attenuated. But as we said at the beginning, the only person who did it all by themselves was the Buddha. Separated, we are weaker. When we come together, we build a kind of a group energy that carries us all. Under the surface of things, this is always going on. So we have uh, a practice hall like this. It's like an engine room of a ship. We build a kind of a power together that not only carries us along, but remains after we walk out of the door and helps the next people coming in here too. Separated, there's quite a limit to what we can achieve. When we really put in the energy, the commitment to working together, there really is very, very little that can stand in our way. So, from two and a half thousand years ago to now, the three defining principles or refuges within Buddhism have been the, the Buddha himself, the Dharma, the teaching, and the community other human beings walking the same road with us. When we have these three, we have what we need. Reflections or points or questions, anything at all. I have a question. <clears throat> um, first, you mentioned the first part of that Zen phrase, but the second part, the ancestors teach in detail. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing, really. It's every little bit of. Uh, basically all your buttons that can be pressed, every single last one of them. Uh, so that's the ancestors teaching in detail. So... Uh, Finding every single mm, cranny So the people who can do this best are the people typically who are closest to you. Family members often know your sore spots better than anybody else. That's the teaching in detail. Mm. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our work with a donation. Visit zenways.org for more information. You'll also find free guided Zen meditation recordings in the main languages of the world on the Zenways Guided Meditation Podcast. Search iTunes to find it.